0: Good morning i am glenn the geek from ocala florida and you're listening to a special horses in the morning on the horse radio network for september the 5th episode 3257 good morning horse world well as you know we were off yesterday for the labor day holiday today is normally the american horse council episode but they are moving to later in the month due to scheduling jamie and i will be back with a new episode tomorrow and then mary and jen on thursday and on friday Lisa and I will join you with our first monthly round of Auditor Trivia. Today, I looked through the archives, and I'm going to bring you a special episode I recorded in 2017. I had a chance to sit down with Dr. Wendy. She hosted the driving show for 10 years and fills in for us here on Horses in the Morning all the time, and was part owner of Horse Radio Network. She has led a fascinating life and an entertaining life, and I think if you haven't heard this one before, you will certainly enjoy it. In one part, you will hear her speak about our mutual friend, Rochelle. She was a good friend of ours, and since recording this, she has tragically passed away. I am replaying this partly to honor her. Rest in peace, Rochelle. We will get to the special episode right after I tell you about our terrific sponsors. The Ph.D. equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science, and their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horses live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. And Cosequin ASU Joint and Hoof Pellets contain quality ingredients to support joint and hoof health and leave out the fillers molasses and alfalfa, all while delivering the taste horses love. The colors of our ingredients shine through for a difference you can see. Visit cosequineequine.com. That's cosequineequine.com. Now on with the show. Good morning, everyone. This is Glenn the Geek, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning for May 24th, episode 1703. We are on vacation right now, but we have a new episode for you today. When we were looking at who to do some special one-on-one interviews with, we were looking at all kinds of amazing people. Jamie did Pat Roberts on Monday, and if you missed that, go back and take a listen to it. It was well worth it. I thought I would stay a little closer to home and speak with someone you all know and love. I have heard her amazing stories of her family and her early years, but you have not. She is one of the smartest, most fun, and opinionated people I know. Plus, she is part owner of the Horse Radio Network and has become one of our dearest friends. Her grandmother was a princess who escaped communism, her father a genius. But let's let her tell her stories. Today is all about the early life of Dr. Wendy Yin. Well, hi, Wendy. Thank you for joining us this morning on this one-on-one. Hi,
1: Glenn. Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, you know, you are a favorite of the listeners. I hear more comments about Wendy and how they love Uh Wendy. And I thought when we were deciding what one-on-ones we wanted to do for vacation horses in the morning, we, you know, I, I was looking at all these professional riders and stuff and I said, wait a minute. Everybody seems to love Wendy, and you've had a, led a fascinating, if not uh, crazy, life. So I thought, well, <laughs> let's get Wendy on and find out. to kind of a "This Is Your Life" story, okay. kind of a equestrian legends. You're um, gonna be
1: you're gonna be disappointed because it's not as as crazy and as you think. I think it's all uh, yeah, but myth. It's, but and it's
0: fascinating. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> you know, especially your family. I mean, you, you have a fascinating family, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I can't figure it out. So um, maybe I'll have a little better idea when we're done here today. And we hope that everybody enjoys this. So let's start at the beginning. Let's rewind and go back to where were you born?
1: I was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts.
0: And that's right near Boston Lawrence
1: right? General Hospital. Yep. It, it's like 20 minutes north of Boston.
0: So, you're up there in the Beverly Myopia Hunt Country area.
1: It was like Andover. Yeah. So, it was okay. like north of there.
0: Now, you're you're obviously Asian, but not all Asian. So, which part was which?
1: My dad is Chinese, and he came here when he was 16. Um, Did he come here by himself To go, go to 16? MIT. He came with his brother, who was 17. They to both go got to into MIT? MIT? Yep. At 16? Well, um, you know, they start them, they're on a different schedule for their high school, you know, for the, the Chinese and the European kids. So they were, my grandmother sent them off to boarding school in Switzerland at a school that my grandfather had gone to. And so um, they went there for a year. And these kids are from Hong Kong, right? I mean, Hong Kong, weather's well, like Florida. Oh, yeah. And they were in Switzerland. <laughs>
0: Middle of snow country.
1: (laughs) And I think, yeah, I know. And I don't, I can't remember. I think they were supposed to go to the college that my grandfather went to, the engineering college in Switzerland. But they didn't speak Swiss and the school was only taught in German. So they had to go to this school first for a year and learn German. Did he? Yeah, he speaks yeah, he speaks great German.
0: So now and, your dad, okay, so he was 16 when he left China. Obviously, if they went to boarding school and things, they what,
1: No, he was 15 when my oh, this 15. is a great story actually. Okay. This is a great story. He didn't tell me this till like till I was a grown up or I just don't remember. But um this is like he was born in the 50s, right? So I guess it was like 60s. My grandmother put him on a ship like a and they had um, all of their clothes like made for them and made in different sizes as they grow. Because my grandmother's a little crazy. My Chinese grandmother, or I should say, was she just passed away a couple years ago, but she, I mean, I know she knows they have clothes in Switzerland that the kids <laughs> could buy, but they're never good enough. Like, you know, they have to be... She wa- She's very controlling. Did she come uh, from money?
0: Were they money? Where'd the money come from to well, do private school. and stuff? Is,
1: this is the thing. We don't know. We don't know the real facts. Oh. <laughs> she says <laughs> her story is that she's a princess and that her family owned all this land and she could walk all day and she'd never be off the edge of her property. And that may be true. Um,
0: Would this have been in, well, not in Hong Kong, but in China itself? In
1: China. And then the communists took over and took everything.
0: Well, so okay. she
1: escaped from the wow. communists.
0: There's a story.
1: <laughs> and that's a good story, too. This is a good one. She had four, my grandfather was away on business. And the kids were, they're all one year apart. So the oldest one is my uncle, Richard. He was four. And then my father was three. And then Julia, uh, Lisa was two and Julia was one. So she had four babies. And of course this is typical Ying fashion. She like was in denial that the communists were really going to come and didn't make any plans, but then, you know, okay, they're coming. So she needs to leave right. And get to Hong Kong. So she, Gets on. She, there's a train leaving, and people are like scrambling to get on this train. And her other part of her family, um, you know, they took the rich people, or the landowners, or whatever. They took them and arrested them. Um, so her brother and her uncle were like hauled off to jail. And they were actually in jail for, oh, like, their rest of their lives, pretty much. And th- so she took all the kids, and she, she couldn't get on the train. So she shoved them through the window to somebody else. And then she went around the back and said, I have to get on that train. My kids are on the train. And they let her on.
0: <laughs> she was <laughs> lucky, a- if she, in fact, was a princess, that she got away.
1: I know. Well, she said that the people in the town liked their family because they were good to their family the good to the people like you know the way the system in China ran before it was like
0: it was like fiefdoms know. wasn't it like yeah kind of, but also yeah. they
1: they were in the country they weren't in the city so it was kind of like owning a great big farm like a plantation it
0: was almost like the basically. castles were in England where you had the town yeah. that was around the family that and everybody exactly. worked for the family
1: and everybody yeah. worked for the family yeah. so um they didn't actually kill her family because they um because they had a good relationship with the townspeople, the one like they were tyrants. So wow. and that's the story she tells. You have to remember that when she t- <laughs> when she tells these stories, it may or may not be that way. It could be very that could be a very exaggerated
0: uh, uh that's a yin thing too, by the way.
1: That's a yin thing too. Yeah, just <laughs> imagine me telling the story. <laughs> so it might not be that way at all, but that's what our family <laughs> It has been led to believe. Isn't that
0: funny? (laughs) So now, uh, where, so obviously she still had, I'm I'm still stuck on this. She had money when she got to Hong Kong somehow.
1: Because my grandfather was an engineer and he had a job uh, with a German engineering company. Okay. So, So um, they had income from that and then He, You know, when she left, she met him in Hong Kong, but they never went back. And supposedly, even like, I guess 10 years ago, she made my uncle go with her um, because she said she buried the family fortune in the backyard or blah, blah, blah. So she wanted to go back and get her gold. But they didn't find it.
0: I was going to say, did she ship you a big box full of gold? <laughs> no, no, they he, didn't. It's still in the mail.
1: <laughs> Must be buried really deep.
0: <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So it, your your grandfather was an engineer, and then your father takes off this young age to go to Switzerland to school. And then yeah. he starts in MIT. I mean, talk about getting That's into a great it. story, too. Okay, well, yeah, because MIT is like the master engineering school.
1: So he was not really happy with the weather in Switzerland. <laughs> I think that's where I get it from. i be like
0: you living in Switzerland.
1: Yeah, and he was like, you know, kind of, okay, I'm, un- I'm out from under my domineering mother's thumb, right? So he was kind of looking at these, uh, like little kids do, they look at different colleges and they have a book that you can look through and see the different colleges. And he saw this one and he said, oh, look, it's z- it's zero application fee for Chinese students. So there's no application fee. It was free. So he said, I'm going to send my my um, application in there because it's free. And he told his brother, and he said, and you know, I always say, like we Chinese are the Jews of the Asian world because we love a bargain. So they're like, oh, it's free. Let's just send in our thing. So they sent it in, and then... Um, they got into that, and then they got into the, the college that they were supposed to go to in Switzerland. And my dad told his professor that he had gotten into MIT, but he didn't know what it was. I mean, he was like 16 years old. You don't know that stuff then, right? Yeah, like,
0: just the college, yeah.
1: Just the college. I and mean, They didn't have internet. It's not like now, right? right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't look it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so... um, his his professor said, you what? You got into MIT? And at that school, there was also his host family. They had host families there. So he, he had a host family and they actually were from Boston. They're named the Vanda beams. I, I actually grew up with thinking, you know, they're like, um, they always stayed very close. They're like my second grandparents, these people. And, um, when my dad told them that he got into MIT, they went crazy. They're like, you have to go. And my grandmother was so pissed. She was so pissed when she found out they went to MIT.
0: Because they didn't I, go to the school that, uh, that they were supposed to go to. In yeah, she
1: had a plan. She had a plan, and everybody has, needs to stick to the plan. I'm sure there was a letter in her own blood <laughs> that she was pissed off that she didn't spend all this time, blah, 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 for them to go off to America.
0: I could just picture this woman too. Yeah, was she about your height? She's littler than me. Oh, really? Wow! I could just picture her mightiness.
1: <laughs> she was mighty, and she uh, was very. Um, she was very fit, even into her old age. She did a lot of tai chi. Oh wow! And yeah, she was really. Oh, so out. she
0: could back up her little mightiness. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah. you and Chinese people don't feel bad about beating their kids. <laughs>
0: All right, so that so your dad heads off to Switzerland and then off to MIT at the young age and uh, obviously was pretty smart to get in in the first place. Uh, you know, he he kind of was a brilliant guy, wasn't he? he, he oh,
1: yeah, he, he was a super brilliant guy.
0: He went to MIT and then graduated as an engineer?
1: Yeah, and then he and his brother started um, a company called Atex, and it was like a... Um, it, it used computers to set type so like really like it, early typesetting almost, for
0: ma- magazines and it,
1: stuff yeah it's almost it's almost I sometimes think I can't believe they did this because the only thing they had before they invented this system was you had to go put the little, you know, like the Gutenberg I press, did it. Right?
0: Uh, we had a friend in, in Connecticut that had the typesets, and we used to love to go in and play with the little metal things and put the letters together.
1: Yeah, that's how they used kid. to do newspapers. Yeah, that's right. So this was actually the first step before desktop publishing. Like, it, it he is the murderer of the typewriter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny.
1: So before you couldn't, you had to set the the space between letters.
0: And you know? I, I knew about this and looked this up. And do you know what year he started it? Could it have been
1: 1973? Oh, yeah. Atex? Yeah. I think so. But like they started...
0: I think that's. I, what, I know when, when a web he public. started it because I found the history of it. Oh uh, great! was founded in 1973 by Douglas Drain and Charles yep. and Richard Ying, yeah, graduates of MIT who had a new idea for electronic uh, composition systems. But and it looks like this company's still in business. Well, they sold it to
1: uh, Eastman Kodak.
0: Okay, got it.
1: And, and um, my dad actually passed away like the year before Kodak went out of business. And I was like, oh, I'm glad he didn't have to see that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so they sold it to Eastman Kodak, and I I guess it could still be in business. It's still
0: in business. They claim to have over a billion dollars worth of software installed worldwide. And they develop advertising, editorial, and web content management systems. Oh, great. And that's the same company. So apparently, I don't know if it got sold. I didn't look if it got sold again. You know, Easton Kodak probably yeah. sold it out to whoever came next. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they have 1,500 uh, employees, I think, um, the way it looks. So your dad would be proud.
1: He would be really proud. And you know what he, he loved? Um, that's why he stayed uh, up on computers, because he really loved the way it was evolving like He loved desktop publishing, and he loved like making web pages, and he loves fonts. He's like a well, crazy Well, yeah, in font that business, he, he
0: would have loved fonts, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: so I, I don't know if you found this when you're doing your search, but he started a company called MyFonts.com.
0: Oh, really? I Do didn't you know MyFonts? That. Yes, I know <laughs> so what that is. Funny. I've gotten fonts from them before. You have? Oh, good. Well,
1: he, he this is a funny story about him, too. He loves fonts. And when he started this MyFonts.com, people didn't really, you know, you you had to be into into publishing to know what a font is, right, right? Right. Because back then, people didn't know, like a normal person wouldn't know or care what font you're using. And um, so he loved, he lived in Silicon Valley at the time, and he loved to, you know, be up on the latest Apple stuff. And this is way before Apple was big. This is like... You know, Steve Jobs had... Like, I think they had the The, the little tiny Mac, Mac The tiny Mac, yeah. Yeah. So, but my dad loved to go to the Apple show because it was in San Francisco. At I think it was at Embarcadero Center or something. He loved every year to go to the Apple show and see all this stuff because it's like a toy store for geeks. So then one year, I remember, he's like, oh, you'll never believe it. I started this font company. and Because I think he did the webpage himself. And then he met somebody that... Develop this thing. You know how you can type in, uh, you can take a picture of the font and you put it on my fonts.com and they'll tell you what font it is. Yes. So he met some guy that d- developed that at the Apple show the year before. And then they started this thing and they made the website and he was super excited because he got a booth at the Apple show. He wasn't just like a somebody there he was like a vip at the apple show
0: i love the fact that your dad was such a geek i I, love know. That.
1: <laughs> I think i would have got
0: along well with your dad i wish i had gotten to meet him
1: i know you would have gotten along great i think that was in the 90s because i think i was in vet school because i remember going to visit him i was either in vet school or in college and we went to the apple show to see him and he was like super proud in his booth well, it's myfans.com.
0: <laughs> I got something to tell you about those early days in 1973, and I think this is where your penchant for liking alcohol comes from. Yeah. Um, when they founded that company, they had an idea for the new, uh, what they called electronic composition system, which was this yeah. type thing. And in 74, they created a, proto- a f- prototype video display terminal, which was encased in a cardboard whiskey carton. <laughs> <laughs> So they took this terminal, but they didn't have a case, so they used yeah. a cardboard whiskey carton. And I just thought, well, that's appropriate.
1: I know. Well, my dad <laughs> and my uncle don't drink, so I'm sure it was either Doug's it skipped a generation. Or, yeah, or they got it. My my white grandfather loved drinking, but if it was his, it would have been like a Pabst Blue Ribbon
0: case. Oh, really? <laughs> It wouldn't have been a a whiskey container. (laughs) No, my
1: grandpa was a big beer drinker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now they built this company, and then I assume they sold it at some point.
1: Yeah, they sold it like in the eighties.
0: So did he retire after that, or did he get into? Yeah, he
1: he retired, and he, um, I think he was like in his late thirties at the time, and. He had been working, really. I mean, my grandmother was, like, you know, a slave driver. And um, he retired, and he did some of the things that he'd always want to do. Like, he learned to windsurf, and he moved to Hawaii. That's when he moved to Hawaii. Well, let's so. talk
0: about, you were born in Massachusetts, and uh, was, uh, what about your mom? Where did she come into the picture? Did he meet her uh-huh. at MIT?
1: Met, yeah, she has a secretary there, I think.
0: Okay, so that's uh, where you came along, huh?
1: Yeah, that's where I came along.
0: And they, so he was still, they had developed this company up there, and he still had the company up there.
1: Oh, yeah, so we lived in Massachusetts until, well, I lived there until I was 17.
0: Okay, so you spent your and, whole growing up in Massachusetts.
1: Yeah, and I rode. Um, I was going to ask, did you ride? Yeah, I started riding when I was like, I don't remember starting to ride. I just remember riding and I think I remember
0: hunters or what were you doing back then? No, I
1: think when I first started riding, my mother took me to like the local stable and it was like, like if you look back now, it was probably like me as a vet, my worst nightmare client. (laughs) Like it was just a dump, (laughs) (laughs) you know, with like shaggy ponies that are never brushed. I mean, not that that's not fun, but it was like, you know, the ponies were barely broke, may or may not have been broke.
0: It was not myopia. No, it <laughs> was not
1: myopia. <laughs> no, it was not. Um and then uh I was in 4H and
0: Is that where your love uh, of chickens comes and ducks comes no, from?
1: No, no, because I our 4H in Massachusetts um was just a horsey one oh, at this okay. one barn I yeah. was that? And so I was at this barn. It was a famous saddle seat barn, uh, North Andover. Hmm. And they had these huge saddle breads. And I remember being so little. He was this guy that ran the barn. And he was like this old Irish guy that was always drinking this red drink, which I think was a, um, you know, cranberry and vodka. He was drinking that all the time. (laughs) And he never had enough help because they'd always quit because he would always be grabbing them. And... So he'd yell to us, "Girls, come over here. Head this horse, because he was real fat too. So it was hard for him to get into the those little show carts. <laughs> so we'd have to stand in front of these giant saddlebreds, and like I could barely reach their bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for I'd those get... that
0: don't know, Wendy's five foot two on a good day. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I remember being on my tippy toes and trying to hold on to this bit. And thinking, God, if that thing steps on my toe, <laughs> you know, because their feet are so huge. And then Eddie would yell, fire in the hole, and then you'd move, and then you'd go. <laughs>
0: fire in the hole.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Because when tough. they when those saddlebreds take off, that's about what it's like.
1: <laughs> I know. And like nowadays, you look at people with their kids, they're so overprotective. And I think my parents just <laughs> left me with this drunk, like guy that grabs any woman doesn't matter what her age is from eight to eight to 80 doesn't care <laughs> and we thought it was great we love to go to the barn i mean he was just like he was totally harmless you know yeah <laughs> wasn't like he did anything he was too drunk he couldn't do it <laughs> and our parents would send us off in the van with him he'd drive us to horse shows and we used to love to get to ride in the van because the it was an old horse box and the passenger side was like all rusted from all the uh s- the salt on the road so there's a big hole in the passenger side <laughs> floor because they only fixed the horse back part but they didn't bother to fix the people
0: <laughs> you're doing Flintstones
1: No, <laughs> you, know, you had to keep your feet up you had to keep your feet or you up. were
0: doing Flintstones
1: <laughs> yeah That's I know is not that regi- ridiculous and our parents thought that was great oh Eddie's gonna drive the girls to the show
0: so that was your first welcome into horse <laughs> into the horse <laughs> community, Eddie.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't he wasn't our trainer. I I have to say. My trainer was this lady named Joy Kellett, who was super wonderful. And um she I still keep in touch with her on Facebook. She does harness racing now. She and her husband. Oh
0: wow, cool.
1: Yeah, and they live in Maine. And then um Joy I think she started, she had kids and she was retiring from teaching. So she sent us off to, um, this woman named Pam Hunt, who's a hunter trainer in Haverhill.
0: So now and you, did you get into showing at that point when you were still a teenager?
1: I showed, yeah, I showed a little bit, um, like we showed at the Topsfield Fair. Remember the Topsfield? Yeah, oh,
0: we went to the Topsfield Fair several yeah. times. Yeah.
1: And then when I was, I started with Pam when I was 13, I guess. And, um... And then I started showing like, you know, around Massachusetts, like, um, uh, I'm going blank now, but we showed like a zone level. I didn't show national level.
0: And uh, did you always have in mind, well, let's do this. Let's take a break for a commercial. And we'll come back, I want to find out when you started thinking that you might want to go to college and then become a veterinarian. So we'll be right back. As horse owners, we spend a lot of time on the road. Let U.S. Rider help keep you covered. Our equestrian motor plan offers fast, reliable,
1: nationwide service from our highly trained roadside assistance team. 24 7 coverage for both you and your horse. Membership includes horse trailer servicing,
0: towing, flat tire repair, even on dual wheels, battery assistance, and lockout service on any vehicle in your plan. We also have your equine companions covered with referrals for emergency vet services, barrier referrals, and emergency stabling assistance. Get peace of mind on the road for you and your horse. Join U.S. Rider today. All right, we're back and we're talking to Dr. Wendy Ying, kind of doing a this is her life story. And we're up to the point now, you're in high school, you're you're riding horses and doing all that. And I assume that well now we know. I don't have to assume. Now we kind of know where your super smarts come from, and that's from your dad. Right. And uh now your mom was not Chinese though. No. She was from from she's the United like, States. Yep.
1: She's like, you know, a mix of everything white.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, got <laughs> it. So that's where your half half Chinese comes from.
1: My mother, my mother is actually you'll meet her sometime, I'm sure. She's like super crazy. And she, um, her name's Donna, and her last name's Ying, obviously. And she used to, I remember she got this pink Jaguar, and she went down to the DMV because she wanted to get vanity plates. Because, you know, they've made it now. Like, she's buying this Jaguar, she's going to get vanity plates. Because, um, you know, my my parents both were not very wealthy so after the whole ATEX thing. You know, they're like nouveau rich people. So you get your fancy car and you get your vanity plate. <laughs> so she goes down there she comes back and she has this license plate that says dying on her pink Jaguar. And we're like, what? are you doing like and she's d-y-i-n-g
0: like, dying
1: yeah she goes well they didn't have donna donna y was already taken so i did d-ying
0: <laughs> but it spells dying
1: <laughs> she drove around she probably still has that plate she drove around like that for years <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very ridiculous story
0: so so when did the idea to become a vet come into play
1: well, I was in college in California. I went to San Jose State for college. How'd you end up out
0: there? You just want the better weather?
1: Well, my dad was living in um, Los Altos. Oh yeah, which is like next to Palo Alto.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where so is where Apple uh, is?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he was like, like I told you, he was totally into this whole like new personal computer stuff. And he loved being in Silicon Valley because a lot of his friends from MIT had companies and, you know, they had, they're they pretty tight with each other there. So he he liked it there. And the weather's awesome. I mean, the weather there every day, it's 75 degrees and sunny and no humidity. There's no bugs. It's like perfect. That's why, besides the the computer people, Tiki, that's why the land there is so expensive. It really is perfect weather. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I remember uh, it snowed on Easter in Massachusetts. Okay, so it's like April 20th, and it started snowing. And I was like, I am getting the hell out of here. (laughs) I didn't care where I was going or what I was doing. I called my dad. I said, I'm leaving here, like now. And he's like, great. Well, come on. So I left and I moved to California. I think I was 17 or 18. I can't remember. But um, in this town that um, he was living in, there was this, like all California towns have community colleges. And it was so cheap. My college was $33 a semester. Whoa. But but my dad said, yeah, come out here because I've been paying – property tax out here. You wouldn't believe how high the property tax is. He's like, we got to get our money back so you can go to college here. (laughs) And we've already paid for it because that's what your taxes pay for, you know? So I, I went to college at this place called Foothill Community College. And it was so awesome because coming from Massachusetts, you know how Massachusetts is. It's very traditional and it's kind of woodsy and, you know, it's kind of boring Scenery wise. And I got to California and there's like mountains everywhere. And Foothill was on the top of this me- like mountain. And it looked like a tiki village. It had thatched roofs and all the buildings were round and you didn't have any inside hallways because the weather's always perfect. So, so every little building was like six classrooms and you just walk or, you know, wait outside until it's your time for class. And I'm used to like these big brick, huge buildings with like pumped in air and it's cold and it's industrial. And I get to California and I just think, oh, my God, this is paradise. <laughs> what was I
0: thinking? <laughs> and then you thought- did you. So you were in college, you were in community college and then went, obviously, to finish your four years. Um, but
1: I, at that point, I still didn't know what I wanted to yeah, do. Yeah.
0: Where did, where did the whole veterinary I, thing come from?
1: I, I just took that's why I went to community college too, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I didn't want to go, you know, make this big commitment. Well, you, what do you know? You, what do you, you don't know what you, you want to be when
0: you're no. 18. No, you don't know what you want to be when you're 40.
1: Yeah. So and a, I also started fox hunting then. That's when I started fox hunting because I was boarding my horses at this barn in California called Webb Ranch. So anybody from that area would know Webb Ranch is probably equivalent to like the pony barn I started in <laughs> riding in in Massachusetts. <laughs> but it actually was really cool because they had um they grew a lot of vegetables and their own hay and blah blah blah. So they had a 99 year lease or something from Stanford University. So it was really affordable board And there were like 300 horses there. It was kind of like a horse condo. So you could, you board your horse and the way they keep horses in California is like a stall and you have a tack closet. And then like a little, your own private little turnout, which is like maybe 15 feet by 15 feet. And that's how they live. They don't get turned out, but this place had tons of trails because it was a, a farm, and then also it was near Stanford University. And, and it also had the, hosted the polo team for Stanford, so they had a huge irrigated polo field that we could ride on. And so my friend um, Peter Griffin, who actually teaches at Stanford, he's this crazy Irish guy that you'd think is like, you kind of think he's kind of spacey, like you, whenever he's talking to you, he doesn't listen but he's super smart. He's like a, he's like some kind of physicist or engineer or something. He's like the most published person I ever know I've ever known. And his girlfriend was my next door neighbor at the barn, Cynthia Edwards, who was a molecular biologist. So I'm hanging out with these two like super smart people, but I only knew them from the barn. And then Peter and I started fox hunting together and, um, I met all my fox hunting buddies. Remember we had Erin on the show the other day? Yeah. She's one of my fox hunting buddies from California. And uh, it kind of like opened up my mind about how, like I didn't think I ever wanted to fox hunt. I only went because like my buddies were going, but I never even knew how fun it could be. And I started doing that and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool and dangerous and fun. And you can see all these cool places. So,
0: so uh, now, um, so I will ask the question again. When did you decide to become a vet?
1: Oh, oh, sorry. I got off the track on Fox, any so, um, well, I guess it is was a horse there, show,
0: so it's okay to get off the track on horses. Yeah, yeah.
1: I guess when I was <laughs> at that barn, it was like 300 horses there. And so, you see, you know, before I was always in like a little barn with only like either a boarding stable where I didn't take care of my own horse you know, you pay board and the manager runs the barn, or we had them in the backyard, but you don't see other horses. You know, you only see your own horses. At this stable, I saw like, I mean, there's all kinds of different levels of care people do and injuries and all this crazy stuff. I mean, there was a vet out there at least three times a day with 300 horses, you know. And so then I started um, riding with, the um my vet there. Um and then that's another time you go and you see all kinds of stuff. You know, stuff that I had no idea about. Like natural horsemanship was just kind of starting to get
0: I and it started out there actually. So yeah.
1: So it was kind of interesting because I I was exposed to a lot of that. Plus across the street from us uh was another farm where you could board but it also had a lot of race horses. And they had a rehab uh, veterinary hospital there, they had a pool, and they had uh, all kinds of cool stuff that I never even knew existed. So then I thought I could mix my love of science with horses.
0: And that's where it all started, huh?
1: That's where it all started. And I guess my parents said when I was little, I did want to be a vet. But we bred a lot of animals, too, like when I was a teenager, and... You know, I'm kind of sensitive, so I am I hate the death part, you know. I hate the euthani- euthanizing animals. And I think when I had to euthanize my pony, he had super bad laminitis. And uh, I remember I was there, and my mother said she couldn't stand to be there, so I had to go myself with the vet. And our vet was a wonderful guy, but he was kind of like rough around the edges guy. So I was there with the vet. And the backhoe guy. And, you know, I know they were trying to be lighthearted about it because that's what you have to do in that situation, and that's how I am now. But I remember thinking, God, this sucks. I would never want to be a vet because I don't want to have to push him into that hole.
0: Yeah, you know, (laughs) all of us have gone through that. Yeah. We've all gone through that. that. Yeah, so that's when
1: I stopped wanting to be a vet.
0: (laughs) So where did you end up going to vet school? And you must have had darn good grades in college.
1: I have pretty good grades. Um, I initially wanted to go to Davis because I was in California. But when I was interviewing, I I I applied to Davis, Cornell, uh, Tufts. I actually was going to apply to University of Florida. I actually really, really wanted to go there. But remember there was like this guy murdering students there? Remember, there was like a. No, I don't a, remember that. There was some mass murderer there that was like picking off students. So my dad said I could not apply to university in <laughs> Florida. So um, and then I wanted to apply to Virginia because I was fox hunting a lot. And so I was like, oh, I should go to Virginia because I get fox hunting, and also the eventing and you know the the hospital they have in Leesburg. I thought that would be really cool. But Virginia at the time didn't take out of state students. So I thought, oh, well, I'll apply to North Carolina because it's right next to Virginia. So maybe I can just go down and actually see what's going on in Virginia. And when I got to North Carolina for my interview, I saw it and I thought, oh, my God, what a hidden gem. Because the school is so awesome. It's perfect for me because I can read the books you know, and whatever. But what I really wanted was hands-on experience and, uh, North Carolina, the the hospital is attached to the classroom, to the school. So from day one, you can spend time in the hospital.
0: And where's the college? It's in Raleigh, Raleigh, Raleigh,
1: Carolina. And it's right in the city, but it's a big, huge farm. They have cows, chickens, pigs, goats, they have a horse breeding program where they breed um, quarter horses. And it's right across the street from the fairgrounds. And it's a great, it's just a really wonderful school. But I wouldn't have known about it because it's not really, um, you know, when you think about vet schools, that's not one that just comes to your mind, you know.
0: So, yeah. so did you work during college or not?
1: Uh, no, I didn't work during college. Did you work I had during the,
0: vet school? Or no, it's hard to work during no, vet school. no, you can't. Yeah,
1: but yeah. I actually during vet school, I um, I started my Irish draft breeding farm.
0: Okay, so that how did you why Irish drafts? You got into Irish drafts?
1: Oh God, this is a great story. Actually, I didn't even remember this. Like if you'd said if you didn't ask me that, okay. This remember I told you how the fairgrounds was across the street? Yep. Remember we we're talking to Doctor Fletcher, my my dean. So. Um, yes, he caught me when the fair was in town. But I also used to skip class a lot because they would have a lot of horse shows over there. <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't skipping important stuff. You know, it's just like, it's lecture. And they were just reading off the slides. So I didn't miss any labs. But they were having this huge dressage show over there. And I was like, oh, I want to go to the dressage show. So I left and I walked over there. And then I uh, was watching the dressage show for a while. And then Um, one of my friends said, oh, you got to go see the stallion auction. They're having a stallion auction. So I walked over to the stallion auction and there were these two Irish draft stallions that somebody had donated and nobody had bid on them. And I was like, oh, I feel so bad for these people. And one was super cute. It looked like a giant Welsh pony. Okay. Okay. So I said, Oh, I'm going to put my name down because I feel bad for these people. So I just put my name down. Like I put down, I think I put down $100 for the bid because I thought it would help get, get things going. So then, like the next day, they call me and they said I won both of the stallions.
0: <laughs> for $200. got <laughs> And
1: I was like, oh, oh, great. Well,
0: so you're still I in did, vet school and now you have two horses?
1: I was still in vet school. I had stallions. My, <laughs> No, no, no. It, it was just a breeding. Oh, okay. You didn't get the horse. Oh, okay, gotcha.
0: Okay, gotcha. And then you, you really stayed in Irish drafts from that point on.
1: I did. I was, I was very involved with Irish drafts for a while, and I really, um, I'm sad that I stopped doing that because I like the breed a lot. I, one of the reasons I really like it is um, in this country, it's hard to find like a all-around horse that's not a quarter horse, and I— I I'm not against quarter horses, but they have a lot of problems like with their feet and genetically. And, and that's just not my type of horse. Um, but I thought, how can people go to Ireland that can't even ride? And I see all these pictures. They went like trekking and they went fox hunting and they took their husband who doesn't ride and blah, 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 have a great time. And I'm like, why is it in America? It's so hard to find a nice horse that doesn't want to kill you. Right. And, um, like Beaker. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. Beaker is a great horse, but Beaker, that, there's not a ton of Beakers around. And um, so then once I started researching the Irish draft, I was like, well, this is what we need in the United States, more all-arounders. But the problem was is that, that getting them over here was just so expensive that they it kind of priced them out of the market that they really should be selling to.
0: Did you... you know, so was that something that... Uh, you were still riding at this point. You weren't driving at this point, right?
1: No, I wasn't driving. I was riding and I was, my whole, my goal was, I was, because I was really into repro, equine repro. That's what I really wanted to do when I was in school. And um, so my goal was, I was going to start reading these Irish drafts and then someday I was going to have a Irish draft farm where I would train the babies to be fox hunters and all arounders and blah 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 and save the ba- sell the babies, um, but like I said, to bring them over, the, the the cost to produce the babies you had to sell them at like twenty grand to cover your cost, you know, and a twenty grand horse is not when you can buy a draft cross for thirty five hundred dollars. For a fox hunter, why would you buy a twenty thousand dollar Irish draft? You know, so, so I didn't. I wasn't too good at business. At that
0: point. <laughs> <laughs> really good at smarts, not so good at business.
1: So, and you know what else happened in that po- at that point? The people, um, the gypsy king people. You know the gypsy banners. There's a guy in Ocala. He yes has yes gypsy yes. Th- those people started bringing over gypsies.
0: Uh, and they were flashier.
1: Well, they were flashier and they also were smart enough to bring over the pretty ones, Mm. you know, because they have to have a pretty head. And also, and in Ireland, they don't. But they could buy those horses for, you know, meat prices and bring them over. Whereas we were paying, you know, not a ton of money, but still we're paying a couple thousand for Irish Drafts.
0: intended to fly them over. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So the Gypsy, and the Gypsies actually, Irish Drafts, while they are wonderful, they can be kind of stubborn. So the buyer you attract with the Irish Draft is like a very, um, it could be somebody's first horse of their own, or their uh, beginner person, and they're drawn to that breed because they are so easy. But Sometimes the Irish draft temperament they you have to imagine they're like giant ponies, so there are some that are bratty, and that they, if they know they can take advantage of their person, they might do that for fun, you know. You had a and couple of those. <laughs> yeah, but I like that temperament. <laughs> so now, <I> liked-
0: <laughs> so where where did you where was your first job after uh, this? I don't know. We've talked about a lot of stuff, but what was your first vet job?
1: My first vet job, I uh, graduated from school and I started my own goat practice. And there were these goats Okay, goat- let's
0: say that again. You started your own what? Goat practice. Okay. It's this is another I great story. It's actually. not what I expected.
1: <laughs> when I was in my... This is... oh God, I can't believe it. Maybe you're right. My life is super crazy. Okay, this is what happened. I was in my last year... No, it was in my second to last year of vet school. Okay, and I went to Ireland. This is my biggest regret of my life. I went to Ireland, and I went on the mare tour, like they do inspections, right? You drive all over Ireland, and you go and inspect the mares, and you look at their confirmation, blah, 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 and you, they pass, fail, whatever. They get their breeding license. So I went all over Ireland with these two old Irish guys. It was so much fun. I learned so much. You'll, I learned so much in that week about horses, that, I mean, you'll never learn that unless you go hang out with a bunch of old horse guys that just look at confirmation all day. But So I met this vet there, and he offered me this job. He said, well, when you're done with school, you come out here, I'll give you a house, and you can come, and uh," because he was getting old then, and he said I could work with him, and then when he's ready to retire, I could take his practice.
0: You could be living in Ireland and retired by now.
1: I know, and I, I didn't do it, and you know why? Because I was scared. Hmm. And I, like me, I had already moved all over the place, but I had never lived out of the United States. I still never have lived outside of the United States.
0: So, that and was I was the, like, that was the reason you didn't, just because of I, uh, you were scared. I,
1: I, I was scared. Okay. Like I'd have to sell everything. I'd have to get rid of all my horses. I, at this point, still had my Irish draft plan. <laughs> And um, which you, you know, could have done
0: very well in Ireland
1: <laughs> I know I know but I I don't know and I had this long term boyfriend and you know we had plans but I think now back to it I should have just, just left everything I should have just sold it all and walked away and gone there because it would have been such an adventure and if it didn't work out it's not like I couldn't come back it's not like I'm exiled from the United States I just went to Ireland so I didn't do that and then after that, I think that made a big impression on me of my decisions since then. Like, that's why sometimes it looks like I'm just kind of,
0: you Doing know, stuff. Uh,
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I get this call from this guy, Alan, who I know from the Irish draft world. And he says, Wendy, I've got this great job for you. I want you to come be my vet at the farm because I am starting this, uh, embryo transfer, embryo transplant business with iris drafts. And he's like, I have a stallion and I have four mares. Did you say four mares? Yeah, he, and he has four mares. And he said, if I can collect eight embryos from these four mares, that's 32 babies a year. And if I can sell these babies for $20,000 a peach That's like whatever, whatever 32 is times 20,000. So he's like, and I'm thinking, well, that's great, but it's not going to work like that. You know, know, there's a lot of ups and downs in breeding and blah, 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 blah. And he also had these recipients. They were uh, Belgians. He had these great big, huge Belgian mares that he got from the Amish. So the first problem I said you have is you only have 20 acres And you want to have like a gazillion horses and babies. And I said, second of all, you have to only you can only assume that 50 percent of the baby of the time the mare cycles, you're going to get a baby. And then, you know, there's lots of things that can happen between then. And he goes, but listen, I can't fail. I said, why? He goes, I can't fail because I'm led by God. God told me to do this. (laughs)
0: So you signed right up? <laughs> no,
1: I didn't sign up. <laughs> when? I didn't. Let's... I wanted to, but so so I said, Alan, you're crazy. You, when God told you to get into Irish drafts, He meant beer, not horses.
0: <laughs> he would have made a lot more money. So,
1: <laughs> but so. no, this story gets better. Oh. It gets better. I didn't take the job with him. I get a call three months later. Okay, I think I was at Southern Pines. I think I was showing. I think I was showing my first driving show and Alan goes, Oh no, it wasn't Alan. It was um, the police. And they said um, it was the police from the area. Alan had been hauled off to jail for animal cruelty and his partners were all trying to take the baby, take whatever was left from the farm and the bank had repossessed everything and they had these two kids standing guard at the gate (laughs) trying to stop these people coming to try to take the animals and the stuff at the farm and that they didn't know what to do because all of the records um all of the records for all the horses was in in spanish and in vet shorthand because he had hired this colombian guy to come be the vet when after i said no So they couldn't tell which, which babies were, they couldn't tell any of the pedigrees and they didn't know which ones, which babies were in which recipients. So they called, the bank called me to come out and to go through all the records and to identify all the babies so they could sell them and get their money back.
0: You could have gone to jail if you'd worked with this guy. <laughs> no, no, I was hired by the bank. No, you could have gone to jail if you'd went to work with this guy in the beginning. I would, Yeah, I'd be in
1: jail. I'd be in jail now. <laughs> but he he went bankrupt, and then also he got in trouble for animal cruelty because the horses look awful, and they're dead babies.
0: Train with top hunter, jumper, and eventing professionals anytime, anywhere with Practical Horsemen On Demand. Your membership gives you access to... Hundreds of how-to training videos taught by top-level hunter, jumper, equitation, and eventing pros, exclusive interviews and lectures, slow-motion demonstrations, insider access to private clinics and lessons, and step-by-step tutorials. New content is always being rolled out, so there are always new videos available on the topics important to you. Join now for just $24.99 a month and take your training to the next level with Practical Horsemen on Demand. Tell everybody the most unique wheeled vehicle, horse-drawn wheeled vehicle you ever owned, and how you got it.
1: Oh, the stagecoach? Did you
0: tell that story? Yeah.
1: Yes. All right. Well, you know, my dad has, like, a lot of weird friends. So one of his weird friends um, is an artist. And I'm using that term very loosely. But he's a super good guy. And he's a furniture maker. He makes actually beautiful furniture. So his art's a little weird. But his furniture is beautiful. So he decided he was going to make stagecoaches. Because he made his first one. And I think... I can't remember. I think he had a neighbor that had quarter horses. And they wanted to go into the Rose Bowl Parade. And so they took the stagecoach with six quarter horses and they did the Rose Bowl parade. And he got to dress up like a cowboy. He was all excited. And then some Japanese guy came and bought it for like $200,000. So now he's like, Oh, if I can sell these stagecoaches, it's kind of like this Allen guy with the Irish drafts. I can sell these stagecoaches for $200,000. I'm going to make 10 of them. So he makes all these stagecoaches and they are beautiful. I mean, really gorgeous. But um, he didn't sell any, so um, he ended up going bankrupt for something, and my dad bailed him out. And he goes, he goes, oh Charlie, I've got a great deal for you. Your daughter drives. Your daughter drives. How about I pay you back some of the money that I owe you by giving you this stagecoach? It's worth two hundred thousand dollars. So unfortunately, my dad believed that. <laughs> so he's like okay fine because he probably knew he's never going to get his money back right at least it gets a stagecoach so i'm living in virginia at the time and my dad's like oh look Irving's sending you this stagecoach
0: <laughs> to pull with your little ponies yeah
1: and he's like yeah you can drive it with your horses and i'm like Okay, this thing is gigantic, and I drive a 14-hand single. <laughs>
0: this is for her. It'd be like on, uh, what's the Christmas, uh, the Grinch. It'd be like on the Grinch with the dog pulling the sleigh. The
1: <laughs> uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know. And I think he's, like, paying attention when I tell him stories about my life, but obviously, no. <laughs> so the stagecoach shows up, and I was like, great. So uh, luckily, I had a barn to put it in, I put it in the barn. And it kind of sat in there because I, how am I going to pull it? I don't even have hand harness. I don't have anything. The only thing we pulled it with was a tractor when we moved it, like from the truck. Hey, was it a to- good shape, the stagecoach? Oh yeah, it was gorgeous.
0: So here was- you are. You have the thing that uh that dr- drivers for years and years and years all want to have eventually, as their kind of fantasy thing, and yeah. you've got it with no horses and no harness. <laughs>
1: No, we totally we, we we would sometimes um, we would sometimes like have little farm tours. We'd look at it. <laughs> <You> look at <laughs> it. So, what did, what was I going to do? No, with it? I didn't just... know how to drive forehand. <laughs> I at this point, Glenn, I had no idea how to even hook up the carriage like that. Um, so, Paul May lived down the road from me. He worked for Sandy Lerner, and she had shires. And she had all these commercial vehicles and all kinds of things. And, and so he calls me one day. I think he was moving to a new job. And, oh, and I was sending the stagecoach to Martin's. So he says, okay, before that stagecoach coach goes, I have to bring the horses up because I've always wanted to drive a stagecoach. And I said, cool, because I've always wanted to drive the stagecoach, but I don't have the horses. So he brings up the four horses the four Shires. They were huge, big black shires. Oh wow. And D was working for him at the time. You know, D and and Tristan. Yep. So D coach came them. up. Yeah.
0: So who would actually call- know how to hook up a stagecoach? Yeah. <laughs> without Unless dying. We,
1: help. we didn't know. <laughs> so we hook up the stagecoach and we were driving around the we the where i lived it has all these dirt roads where you can drive i mean you can do coaching for miles out there and so we hooked up the stagecoach and we went driving around the neighborhood and it was super fun
0: <laughs> i bet <laughs> you're you have a picture of that too because i think i remember seeing the picture don't you
1: we have a super old picture because it was before we had iphones
0: but you scanned it in, didn't you? Didn't you send it? I to did. Me one time? Yeah. You'll have to send yeah. that to me again, and I'll use it as the show notes picture for this episode. Is yeah. you and the stagecoach?
1: Yeah, because I think D took the picture of us. It's really grainy, but I do have that picture. So, and how much did the two
0: hundred thousand dollar stagecoach sell for at Martin's?
1: It went for pretty good money. It sold for thirty five thousand. Well, that's not I
0: th- bad. Yeah, not yeah, two hundred, so pretty good. It's pretty. It good.
1: wasn't. It wasn't a reproduction. You know, it was. Um. Uh. The problem was it. He gave me the one with the fiberglass body, uh, which okay. was good for pulling. You know, that's right. actually great because it was lighter. But if it had a wood body, it probably would have gone for more. And I'm glad I sold it because actually the market in carriages has gone down so much.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know. you so good. at the
1: time, it was probably good. And I was moving um, to Florida. So I, I thought, God, you know, it's bad enough. I have a couple retired horses I have to drag with me, but now I have to drive drag this stagecoach with me too. <laughs> and this <laughs> so I need probably to lighten you know, up my load.
0: We've told a lot of the stories on the driving radio show, and you can go back to the past episodes of when Wendy got into in hand and the Wegg experience and all of that. So we're kind of almost up to that point. But there's one story I want you to tell before we wrap up here today. Now that you've all learned about the early life of Wendy Ying. There's one story I want you to tell, and it comes back to your dad again, who I am very sorry. He died a few years ago, right? Right before I met you.
1: In 2010, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, the, like two weeks before. I know. It was leg. right
0: around the time I met you, actually. Yeah. So um, there was a story, though, of a mutual friend of ours. There was this girl named Rochelle. She's British. and Oh,
1: that's a great
0: story. Yeah, I got to tell the story because it's so bizarre. Okay, Rochelle worked with my wife at Myopia Hunt Club. She worked for my wife at Myopia Hunt Club when, when Jennifer was the manager there. And she did lessons, and she's just super nice, and she's British, and she always wanted to become a vet, which she has since then. Yeah. Um, and we've had her on the show many times, actually, talking about vet life in... Which country was that? She
1: went to Slovakia Hungary.
0: or something. It was Slovakia, I think. So she was in vet school in this one of these ex-Eastern Bloc countries and she was telling about life doing that and not understanding a word they were saying. And so she has become a vet and I think she's in England now. We have to get her back on. But so she was lived in Massachusetts and she was she was work but you also knew her, right?
1: She worked for Larry Poulin for many, many years. She was so a I knew her from her driving.
0: driver, right. She was yeah,
1: Larry program. Poulin was a pair driver, and she um, worked for him at the shows. And also, he went to a, a many world championships, so she used to fly all around with the horses. And I, I knew her, you know, from...
0: And she's kind of like you. If Rochelle driving. was around, you knew her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's super nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: kind of like you that way. You know, everybody knows Wendy. Well, everybody knew Rochelle. All right, now that leads us to your dad. So tell us, this has to be shortly before he died, right? This, kinda- yeah,
1: because he was at, he he was at Mass General for the summer doing this experimental treatment. So he had to be close to the hospital. So he rented a house in Marblehead, and it was right on the water, and it was this cute little house. And he's sitting there drinking coffee on the porch and looking in the ocean. And my dad was like a ladies' man, too. He really likes, you know, beautiful girls. And he doesn't care how old he is. You know, they're best if they're like between 20 and 28, you know. So all of a sudden, he said, I was drinking my coffee on the porch. And this beautiful girl comes out of the water. She was scuba diving. And she's looking at me, and she walks right over. It was like a mermaid walking out of the sea to me. And she says, hey, aren't you Wendy Ying's dad? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? I am Wendy Ying's dad, but how does this mermaid he know? I thought the chemo I- was
0: uh, like... <laughs> messing with him <laughs> that's every guy's uh, fantasy right there as a mermaid walks out and knows you
1: <laughs> i know aren't you wendy Yang's dad it was like that puts a real damper on the whole his <laughs> like, fantasy going on here <laughs> so this is what like it was so it was 2000 and it was 2010 or 2000 it was, it was either 2009 2010 but we were like pretty active on facebook so she had seen all the pictures of me with my dad on Facebook. So that's how she recognized him, and she knew the house. <laughs> so that's why. It's so funny. Yeah. But also, my dad um, had a friend that he used to ski with all the time in Colorado. And um, that guy's daughter went to Harvard with um, Zuckerberg,
0: the oh, Facebook yeah. guy. yeah.
1: And so my dad was actually one of the first people on Facebook before it was open to everybody. It was still uh, Harvard University
0: kids. Oh, wow. (laughs) I know. Well, I I love hearing that story, especially because I've heard it from both sides. We actually have heard it from her side and his side. So, and the story is exactly the same.
1: <laughs> it is. Funny. It yeah. is.
0: It is. Rochelle's told that us, that story too when she knew you were working with us.
1: Uh, Did she know how sad he was? That she said? <laughs> no, I don't think she
0: realized that the fantasy was gone. I don't <laughs> think that. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't hear that quite version <laughs> before, but it is every guy's fantasy, right? Oh, that's okay. funny. And to see somebody coming out on the beach and they walk up to you and say, uh, uh, I think I know who you are. That'd be freaky. That's just like out of the movies. I know. <laughs> and did he yeah, recognize How got- did she recognize him anyway?
1: I think she knew uh, the house.
0: Oh, okay.
1: You know, from Facebook, she seen that we were in Massachusetts.
0: Ah, uh, got it. Okay.
1: So I think she probably <laughs> knew kind of where we were because that's a really small area. That, oh, that town's tiny.
0: That's funny. She loves the water. I don't. I, th- I don't know. Uh, she always wanted to work with uh, sea animals too. When she became a vet, so I hope she, uh, Rochelle, ends up do, doing that. Oh,
1: she needs to come down to Sarasota then.
0: Yeah, we need to get Rochelle back on. Uh, well, maybe we'll get her on our show on the driving radio show and chat with her about th- what she's up to now. One vet to another. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. We've run out of time, but as I said, this pretty much gets us up to the point on time when we started talking about Wendy's history on the Driving Radio Show. And uh, if you want to hear all of that, you can go back to past episodes of the Driving Radio Show at drivingradioshow.com or uh, horseradionetwork.com. And if you've never listened to the Driving Radio Show, we've changed the format a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Just like we did Stable Scoop, we've changed driving. It's every two weeks now. And we are doing a driving interview because we've gotten so much feedback from listeners that they love when Wendy talks about veterinary stuff and Chinese medicine stuff. Um, that we have now changed the format a little bit it's still the driving radio show but we'll do one driving guest at the beginning and then half the show is a driving guest and half the show is about Chinese medicine or veterinary medicine and the show's a little bit shorter now than it was before so I think you'll you'll enjoy it and you mi- if you've missed past uh, Chinese medicine segments that Wendy's done. Most of them are over at Horsetip Daily. You can just go to Horsetip Daily and put in, uh, search for Dr. Wendy Ying, and it'll bring up all the past episodes of, uh, uh, of the Chinese medicine segments that she's done, and there's been some fascinating stuff. So,
1: You know what I like about the new format? I really like the, um, that I get to interview other vets. Because I think that format's working better. It is, and it's interesting for me. It's more interesting for me than to just like research something. I never have much to add, so
0: (laughs) I am not much help. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you know what? But I get to
1: interview these fun people and find out things that I never knew. I mean, that's part of the fun of interviewing people is you find out. You get to be nosy and ask them all these details about. What they're doing. We did
0: that one on lime, you know, and then we last that was we a good met your dean in the last episode. So that was a lot yeah. of fun. So you'll need to have two ready for Wednesday. We have to record ahead because of vacation. I have two great
1: ones. We have cataracts and we have um you know turmeric life, Dr. Doug English.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, yep.
1: We have we have the Australian. About the vet yep. About turmeric.
0: Very good. That's all coming yep. up on the Driving Radio Show. And also, Wendy has a blog, and you can find, uh, where can they find the blog and also your store?
1: At drwendyying.com.
0: Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us and uh, hanging out with Wendy.